0: Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Psychedelic Healing Podcast. I am honored to introduce my next guest, Dr. Maya Sheetreet. She's an integrative pediatric neurologist, herbalist, urban farmer, naturalist, and author of The Dirt Cure and Master Plant Experience. She lectures internationally on environmental health and toxins and in healing with food and nature. In the plant medicine experience, she dives into the latest research about psychedelics for mental health and physical well-being, while also sharing ancient and indigenous practices for engaging with plant medicines and integrating them into your life. She founded the Terrain Institute, which is an earth-based program for transformational healing, and included in that, she trains. She has a training program for psychedelic-assisted practices and approaches to healing. Welcome, Dr. Shaitree. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. I did want to start off because you have what an amazing history, like neurologists and being able to heal. And with the Dirk here, I love your holistic approach to healing, especially with pediatrics, you know, starting with, with your son and then just moving to really find cure and treatment for all these chronic conditions, not just putting a Band-Aid and treating the symptom, right? But really, my first question is, how did you transition from you know, medicine into this psychedelic space? I'm not sure
1: exactly that it was a transition, but more just leaning into the different facets that present themselves as time goes on. So I went into medicine because I was really interested in mind-body healing. And um, so people... Always think I must have come in as very conventional and then had this big integrative or alternative awakening. And I did through my son, but I actually went into medicine because I saw Bill Moyer's special, and this is kind of dating me, Mm -hmm. but it was called Healing and the Mind. And they told this story as one of the many about this young girl with lupus who was reacting very badly to her meds. So her lupus would flare when they would stop her meds, but on her meds, she was having kidney failure. So they decided to try something along the lines of the principles of what they called psychoneuroimmunology, which was a completely new term to me, and I was probably, whatever, 18 or something. And what they did was they gave her a dose of castor oil every time they'd give her her meds. In the hospital and then they eventually stopped giving her the meds and continued to give her the castor oil and she responded as if she was getting her meds but with no side on and you know i heard this i was whatever 19 something like that and i thought great psycho neuroimmunology that's what i want to do that's really cool i love that idea i want to know about that and i wrote about it in my med school essay and they let me in. I guess it was a good ethnic. I was an English major, and 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 then I went to med school, and got married and had children. I had three children over the course of my training, and I'm trained in adult and pediatric neurology. So I did pediatrics, adult neurology, and pediatric neurology, and was boarded in all of those. So it was wow. a wild ride <laughs> to do that while having children. You can imagine how popular I was. Yeah, oh. I can't imagine that. <laughs> In the medical world, they are not fond of people with families in their training, especially. But yeah, then my son started to have these health issues. And that took me down this rabbit hole, which led me to really doing a lot of work with the gut microbiome at a time that there was really nothing written about the gut microbiome. There was scientific literature. And that was what I knew how to do. He was sick. No one was helping me. I went and dove into the scientific literature and found these things about microbes and food and food allergies and the gut-brain connection and kind of put it all together to help my son and then ultimately started helping a lot of patients that were coming to me from around the world because no one else at that time was doing integrative pediatric neurology or really even adult neurology. So I did that for a long time and then my son later, and I call him my muse. I have three children, and they're all wonderful spiritual teachers, as children are, but all, all adults now. But at the time, that same son, my youngest, had been really sick because of mold we had growing in our apartment in New York City. And uh, so we moved out for five months, gutted everything down to the studs, and then Got rid of all of the upholstered furniture, had it cleaned with, like, toothbrushes. I mean, it was retested. It was great. We came back. Within two weeks of that time, he was seven at the time, went to take a shower in the room that was the epicenter of the mold. So it had been totally deconstructed. There was no part of that bathroom that had mold anymore. And he had a seizure in the bathroom um, with a door locked. Very scary. Wow. and. It was one of it was one of the scariest moments of my life, and when he came out of that bathroom finally, because of course he was on the floor, and it was the whole oh my goodness scary event. And I was, held him in my arms. I just knew, in this way that sometimes we know with all of our body in a way that doesn't come from cognition, but it's something deeper. I just knew that he wasn't. This was not a physical problem. It was a spiritual problem, energetic problem, soul sickness. I didn't know what to call it, and I didn't really know how to help him, but I just knew that's what's going on. I was already doing all these integrative approaches. I was already had him on probiotics and supporting his liver. I mean, just all of the things, neurological things, everything. I knew there was something more. And I ended up starting a journey, essentially, to find the people who would help me help him, which, of course, took me on a journey to into my own healing, right? Because that's really, I think for parents of children, and in general, these journeys are really always about healing ourselves first and foremost. And that took me us to Ecuador to study with this ethnobotanist and fourth-generation shaman. I had no idea I was going to be taking plant medicine because, first of all, that was not the in thing to do at all then. Now, it seems like everyone's like, oh, but Peru, I'm doing, you know... And, it wasn't like that at all at the time where that was what everyone was was doing. And nobody told me anything and nobody told any of us. We knew we would be going to the jungle. We'd be learning about different plants, of course. And you went I, down with your son? I went with myself, with a group. With a group, okay. And I didn't know anybody in the group. I didn't speak Spanish. I flew to Ecuador alone and left my family for a few weeks On the fly. It's actually a very dramatic story, but I'm not going to take us there right now. But once I was there, among the other things, we did learn about plants. We did go through the jungle. We almost died several times. It was it was the whole thing. (laughs) But we did have a few ceremonies and I had a ceremony, which I don't even really I haven't really talked about very much. But it was very impactful for me. With San Pedro cactus. So we had an experience with ayahuasca, and then separately, we were learning with a lot of different healers in all different parts of the country and traveling all around the country. But with the San Pedro cactus, the the journey happened, and at the very end, I was with the spirit of San Pedro, I guess I'll say. and And he said to me, now, I'm your husband, and you're my wife, and we are going to do this healing work together and spread this message and I thought okay (laughs) like I didn't really know what to think about it and I honestly didn't think very much about it over the next decade not to say I mean I taught about psychedelics I gave grand rounds on psychedelics it wasn't that I was never involved in that but I wasn't at all like this is going to be my life now and this is what I want to do. And in fact, I I kind of say I was pulled into psychedelics kicking and screaming. I resisted when people said, you should write a book about psychedelics. That would be really great. We would really love to see that. I was like, no, that's not going to be my thing. I'm not taking that on, et cetera, et cetera. And I mean, as you can see, I did end up yes. writing. <laughs> it was sort of very unexpected to me. I thought it was just going to be a little, a little handbook to go along with my course. And it ended up being... Eighty-five thousand word. Deep, that's amazing. Dark night of the soul, pulling things yes. out of the abyss, kind of story. So it's as a lot of our stories are. I think when we get involved in this, I wouldn't say I left anything behind exactly, but it, it's it's taken me on a very windy road, and and it's a calling. Whatever it is that's unfolding, is a calling.
0: <laughs> Yeah, wonderful. Wow. What a what an interesting story to transition from helping your son into then helping the world. Mm. So it's beautiful. And it's all about education. And I think you're definitely doing that with the book, which is uh was a wonderful read of beautiful with the history. And then each chapter delved me deeper and deeper into the medicine. And but what I really like is how you really tie in and keep the ceremony into it and keep, you know, the importance of the set and setting. And that's why you know i'm so excited to have you here because that's what's most important right i mean there's that's the scary part that's happening now with you know the legalization and it's going to be you know everyone is going to be able to have access to it but there's a lot of people that there's a lot of people that it'll help but it's not for everybody mm-hmm. right and that's where the education piece comes in and i think you are following uh father pedro's uh, um, mission into educating and sharing it with the world. Um, with the different medicines, so you said you tried both of those. Was it that you then ended up doing more psychedelics in the future or was that like, oh my gosh, that that was enough and you never uh, ventured after that?
1: Well, so no, I've been very, I have two ways I could answer that. As far as ceremony goes, I, you know, I experimented not with actually not with master plants as a teenager but with LSD and things like that. So I did have experiences, a good number of experiences. And actually, for me, the reason that I stopped and I was like 15 years old, I think, but I remember having word finding problems and I had the presence at that time, who knows how to say, "Well, I don't want to mess with my brain. I'm going to stop stop doing this." And it's interesting because we're now so interested in all of the benefits, the neurological benefits that happen with psychedelics. Nobody's really talking about things like that, but people have reached out to me to say, "Hey, we just did mushrooms and my daughter and I, actually adult adult daughter, I think, but you know, I've done a lot of online events and where I have, you know, 40 or 50 speakers and we we teach and people will reach out with questions and they said, Yeah, we are having word finding problems. And I thought that was interesting. I think we're gonna see as time goes, we're gonna see the nuances of of different people's nervous systems, different people's vulnerabilities, who responds well, who doesn't, to what particular master plants or or compounds in this case. But yeah, so I had those experiences as a teenager. And then, interestingly, in Ecuador, the way that we were dosed was actually probably what a lot of people would call maybe an aphrodisiac dose, uh, which is not a shamanic dose, not this big one. you so open dose, and also probably more than a micro dose, but somewhere in between. And I'm very sensitive anyway, but with my ayahuasca experience there, I didn't really have an experience because I think the reason was because I was very resistant. And I specifically was like, no, I don't want this. I don't feel safe. It felt like we were in the middle of the jungle. No one had prepared me. I felt very nervous. And I think she basically said, okay, not this time. And The San Pedro experience was totally different and so gentle, but so profound. Still not a huge dose, but for me, I don't, I just don't need a huge dose. I always say I live in a pretty psychedelic reality in general, Um, and I can talk a little bit about the neuroscience of that, but then I did later decide to do, not on that trip, bigger experiences in a Peruvian um, format of a ceremony ceremony with ayahuasca and that was, you know, very intense. (laughs) What can I say? I mean, yes, I've never had an experience like I did with the San Pedro cactus that was that clear and meaningful. For me, my experiences with ayahuasca are always more visceral and chaotic and very intense. Even when I take tiny doses, they're always very very amazed by my tiny dose that I can take and still kind of be blasted open like I'm drinking tons and tons of of the medicine. So, um, you know, and I've worked with microdosing, I've worked with mushrooms. So I've had experiences, but I'm not actually committed to doing a lot of big experiences because I myself feel, for example like as much as i had this very deep experience with san pedro cactus i'm still unpacking that and it's been over a day wow. so for me here i am you know i've i've written a book i'm teaching we're doing this psychedelic professional training we've there's so many things and i grow the plants so that's another way that i engage is i believe when we get these gifts from these master teachers, for me, I it has to be reciprocal. What am I offering? What am I offering in mm-hmm. return? And so part of what I started to do was grow. I have a 10-year-old ayahuasca vine. I don't consume my plants. I just tend them. I mean, and sometimes they, you know, like sometimes my I had about 60 San Pedro cacti, which was a very long story why that happened. I did not plan it exactly, but Um, I was going to do a project with them actually and cut them. And I had some whole idea. And then I got these cacti. Um, They were shipped to me from all different people who were selling them. This was years and years ago. And I absolutely could not cut them up. I cut one piece of one of them. And I was like, I can't do this. And so then I had to plant them in my pot, you know. So I had a whole basically master plan experience in my... Luckily, I have a living room with a lot of light. But uh, by (laughs) by growing these plants, and I grow Brugmancia, I grow tobacco, I grow a lot of different master plants, um, among others. And uh, I learned even things like they love other beautiful plants to be with them. They don't want to just be a bunch of cacti. They want friends, essentially. So I started bringing other beautiful plants to intersperse, and so I had this sort of jungle environment essentially in my in my living room. but I learned so much just by tending them and have gotten a lot of teaching just through that. So I believe that there are ways we can engage with these master plants that don't require us to have big experiences, and we
0: can still. Have a lot of of healing and learning and growth well and that's beautiful too because of you know you're essentially practicing mindfulness and just tending and caring to these living uh plants and really going in that holistic approach of of healing because even in your book when you discuss it's it's not just about taking the medicine it's about you know really holistically how is your diet i mean i in, in doing all those ceremonies, I'm sure you had a preparation, you know, certain foods to avoid, um, you know, certain things that you had to do and not do, uh, different medicines that you have to avoid. Um, but it's always also about nutrition, and that's the beautiful part where you intersect that in your integrative medicine, where you can implement the nutrition and the mindfulness and the everything else that goes along with, um, you know, our health. Not just, you know, if you're completely nutrient deficient or being exposed to mold, for example, um, it doesn't matter what you do, you're still going to be hurting yourself and you can't be optimal in your mind in that sense. You know, when you are, you know, coaching clients and coaching patients or teaching them, you know, what are some of the things that you do um, in when they're asking you for guidance and preparation for certain uh, plant medicines, like what you know, for actually our guests, right? If they're looking to explore, because I've had patients where they've gone to Peru, not prepared. They, on a whim, decided, oh, let me do AYA. And it's been a traumatic Not, I mean, their diet, there were so many things that they were not, they're set in setting, what their intentions were. None of that was set, you know, and it was very traumatic for them. So what would you advise, uh, you know, clients or different people, like in our listeners, what they would do? Um, look for or prepare for?
1: Well, there's a few things. I mean, for me, it's really all about the relationship. And these are these are masters. You come the same way I was using the example of Thich Nhat Hanh. I mean, the late Thich Nhat Hanh, But you're not going to go, you know, running up to the doorway of this master teacher's home and bang on the door and be like, yo, what's up, bro? You're going to come um, in a respectful way. You're going to prepare yourself. You're going to learn a little bit about who this person is. You're, you know, in this case, this being or this spirit. Learn. That's why I included in the book, not just clinical information, but lore and mythology and history and and the scientific information to some degree. But I actually didn't want to make that the pure focus when I was talking mm-hmm. about plants themselves because they're beings and they have stories just like we have stories. And I don't want someone to sit and talk about my blood type as if that's me, right? Like this compound in my body or my neurotransmitters as if that's me, even though we like to talk about, you know, serotonin deficiencies, right, as depression, et cetera. That's not true. We know depression, for example, is physical, it's mental, it's emotional, it's spiritual, it's ecological, and so it's really about being in connection in all of these ways in this relationship with the world within us and the world around us and the invisible world, which is our ancestors and our lineage and our epigenetics and DNA and, and beyond, right? The cosmos, which is something we do get to experience more in these bigger experiences and sometimes not even very big experiences. We start to see those connections once, especially once the doors have been opened. But in terms of preparation, you know, of course, there are a lot of things I recommend that I think are helpful. One of the biggest ones for me is mitochondrial support, is gut support, because a lot of people don't think about the fact that probably a lot of the action that's happening, and I touch on this in the book, a lot of the action that's happening with psychedelics that are ingested is in the gut and in the liver, the whole GI tract. So supporting that and helping regulate that, I think can be the difference sometimes between a very intense, difficult experience and maybe less so.
0: I think- Are you seeing that with, are you doing that with like probiotics or are you doing that with specific foods? It could be any number of
1: things. Certainly, it could be probiotics. It could be looking at diet. It could be what what kinds of meds people are on i mean we could we can do a whole gamut right and and then mitochondria also right mitochondrial support so every cell in the body has mitochondria which is actually very connected to the microbiome right the 3 to 5 pounds of organisms that live in and on our body and regulate our mood and our cravings and our cognition and our sleep and all of these different things our immunity our mitochondria actually evolved, right? These energy makers of the cell evolved, we think, from bacteria. long mm-hmm. I mean, millions, 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 millions of years ago. Yes. But they communicate together through quorum sensing. The bacteria and the mitochondria have these ways that they actually communicate directly with one another. And that's part of why we think that the microbiome is so potent throughout the body. How is it doing that where it's mostly concentrated in the gut? Well, It's because there's these communications going on. So that's another big one that I would focus on. Very big one for me is working on regulating the nervous system. Our nervous systems are often, if we have been through trauma in our lives, and I certainly had a lot of early life trauma, I think only recently did I finally start to understand what my nervous system felt like when it was totally regulated. I started getting weekly massages because I had an injury and it completely changed my life. And I mean, I'm, I treat the nervous system, right? I mean, I'm, that was a, that's a big part of my training and a big part of my work. And that was the first time I really fully got that. So with all of that said, we can come, we can be prepared, we can have the intentions, we can have done all of these things. And it's still very possible even with the right support before, during, and after, that the experience could be incredibly difficult and re-traumatizing. And our job, if we can, is to understand that there is surrender involved in this. We can't always predict how it's going to go and do our best to make meaning of the experience as we can afterwards. That's, That's all we can do because there are just no guarantees in these kinds of experiences, even if we cross every T, dot every I, a lot of, I think, the lessons of these teachers is really about understanding that we are not nearly as much in control as we wish we were, would like to be. And that definitely scares a lot of people in the healthcare community when it comes to advising and supporting people about this, I think.
0: yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely I mean I'm I'm a little nervous. I've never uh experienced the grandmother yet and uh it it scares me because there is it's a really an ancestral it's historical. it's like deep deep rooted and uh I'm a little scared about that. but it is calling to me it is calling to me so we'll see in the future uh, where uh, where it occurs when I'm ready one day. To delve deep,
1: I would say that the relationship has already begun because Mm -hmm. I'm first of all, look what you're doing right now. Second of all, you're feeling that call. I would say start reading more about her. I would say get a necklace made of ayahuasca, maybe, or some kind, right? I think part of why I put a slice of ayahuasca as the front. Of my book was because I think of that as vibrational medicine that really does cultivate that relationship. And because these are master teachers with this ancient lineage and this power, you can look at a picture and start to experience the change, experience the medicine, experience the relationship. And I think from an indigenous standpoint, and of course, indigenous people are in no way a monolith, and I'm not speaking for anyone in that way but my teachers that I've had are very clear that the medicine is vibrational and from the spirit of the plant not compounds and chemicals and they're psychedelics they think that's so such a ridiculous term right it's yeah. it's from from spirit and it's and it's vibrational and it's something we can receive without or let's say before we even ever ingest.
0: Yeah. I almost feel like in, in different psychedelics and ketamine, you know, uh, obviously a, a compound, you know, it's, it's when people go and, you know, meditate for months or years, you know, to get that, to that transcendent experience and they don't need a psychedelics because they can do it just energetically and in meditation and, and just be open to that vibration. Right. And, and, you know, when there's an assistance that's where the plants come in, you know, they can they can take us to that vibration, you know, and that's what I find beautiful to assist us for those. Um, I'm still working on my meditation and my, you know, being able to to get into that focus and my mind is so pew, 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 you know, but uh, yeah, it's beautiful to to have that as an assistance to be able to do that work to connect and get that vibration because we're all vibration. We're all little energy balls just floating around. And that's why people wonder, oh, how did we become friends? Or how do you know you always wonder like the circle of friends that cross your path or um, you know, why, oh, why does this keep happening or this keep happening? It's just all our energies, it's the vibration that we give off and we just connect with people. So
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I think that's one of the things that is so universal in the mystical experience and described in a lot of these papers that even talk about the mystical experience. So we know it has to be pretty universal because right. Scientists are writing it down, but that feeling of everything and everyone being connected, that we're not surrounded by things. We're surrounded by beings. Everything is alive. Everything is intelligent and, and that we're all one thing, right? This is, a lot of what the mystical experience offers, and it certainly is a profound healing aspect, even though I think microdosing or quantum dosing or other ways of engaging can be very potent as well and can offer mystical experience depending on the sensitivity of the person. I also think that that right once we see, once we have that mystical experience, whatever it may be, You can't unsee that. You can't go back. And then you do get to experience more of those synchronicities and epiphanies and find the people, and that's really what it's all about is... Connection. Yeah, understanding that we're not alone. We don't have to suffer with this sense of existential orphanhood that we all feel in this world like how did we land here in this weird yeah. place right but to understand how beautiful it also is and and rediscover remember ourselves and that we're all connected in this one yeah
0: energy ball as you said yeah i think a lot of uh people and i found it i i, I see it even with ketamine is the connection that they feel, you know, these people, especially after COVID, oh my God, this, our world right now is just went from complete isolation to now the social anxiety that I see that I treat so much just to to connect and the fear of connection now, that in a, not that they're scared, but they're physically, their body, like we were trained to, to fear and like connecting with people's like equals to death during COVID, right? And now it's just, we're coming out and trying to regroup and connect and it's just like, Everything that you see, it's like one bad thing after another. What's next? What's next? And just really being able to quiet the mind and just connect and realize we are all energy. And that really heals so many people. I've had so many patients actually describe a traumatic event from an ancestor with ketamine. I didn't, I didn't realize that the, the ketamine would actually do that. And it actually did do that you know, with some of my patients. So it's a beautiful thing. Um, It's not a plant medicine, but it is an ability. It's a way for people to get that legally here in the United States, you know, since all the other medicines are still legal for now.
1: I don't feel like there's, I don't feel denigrating of the compounds that we have available to us. I chose to focus on master plants in the book that I wrote and generally in the work that I do, but I I have the greatest respect for all of these different approaches. I don't think Mm -hmm. that, and I I think I even said in the book, it's really not a judgment that I chose to speak about the plants. But for me also, as someone who also has been a plant person for a very long time, long before, before this and talking about plant consciousness and mycelial intelligence and indigenous science and all of these things, that's really where I wanted to focus. Because of course, the topic of psychedelics, I mean, in the beginning of writing this, and I was very lucky, I had an editor who kicked my ass a little bit, but yeah. I were, tried to write a little bit about ketamine and this and that in the psychedelic. And she said, this chapter is too long. This book is about master plants. This is yes. for another book. And she slashed it. And she did that in a few places. And it was really important for me because... It created space. I mean, the book ended up being almost three times as long as I expected, but it created space for me to really be able to dive into topics like plant consciousness and topics like yes. indigenous science in a in a deep, big, wide way that I really wanted to. So I got to express really what was in my heart and soul because I wasn't trying to do the things that really were not mine to do, because this is huge, right? The work that we have in whatever healing this world needs. And I don't think I'm doing healing work even. I would say I want to just share the transmissions I have and I think they can be healing without my having to do healing work directly, right? I think is Mm -hmm. like how we share what's in our hearts and souls I think we all have a role. There's not one person that does, and this person does not. It's all finding that particular, you know, within the psychedelic community and beyond to be able to start thinking of ourselves as an organism where we all have things to bring and not, and get out of this idea, right? And this is a theme also of getting out of us versus them and into the idea of me and we. And so that I think
0: is. For all of us, me and we. I love that. Yeah, me and we. Yeah. And I I always try to educate everyone about it. It's not, you know, I joke really when I say ketamine when we talk about plant medicine because it's like a fake psychedelic, but it's it is a psychedelic. It's mind altering per definition. But it's not a competition, it's about healing. There's I have patients that they're not gonna go to Peru, climb up the mountains to do ayahuasca. No, there's there's people that aren't gonna go and do ceremony and go different areas. They want to be in a clinic and feel safe. And that's my role, you know, to be that person for them and also to educate and, you know, speak with, um, you know, authors and doctors and everybody so that everyone can learn. It's all about knowledge and we can't hide it anymore. We have to tell everyone everything as much as possible, you know, but I love it. Me and we. Yes, absolutely.
1: Absolutely. And I do think ceremony can happen everywhere. And that's something I actually wrote about in the book was for people who a ceremony can happen along the side of a road it can happen in a hospital room it can happen in a house it can happen in a hut in the jungle there are, there are a lot of things that can become ceremony and there are also things that are called ceremony that are not creating a container that is sacred and ceremonial actually so this has to do with tapping into that and if you can create that ceremonial space in a clinic for the people who really need that and feel the best and safest in that environment, that's what we've been programmed to believe many people, you know, some Mm -hmm. people opposite, but there are many people who feel the safest in that kind of controlled environment. And so you're creating that ceremonial experience and that container for them.
0: Yeah, yeah, I I try as much as possible, you know, because it is a clinic, but it's it's like a spa-like clinic. We blow lighting, cleaners, comfortable, you know, as non-clinical as possible, but obviously being monitored and them feeling safe. That's that's where we uh, play that role. So everyone just, you know, I love that you're having a teaching program. So you do, um, you teach uh, therapists or facilitators, guides. What kind of um, program do you provide at your um we're opening
1: applications now. We previously, what I would offer was a 10-hour a course that anyone could take, and many people did. Now we're actually opening applications for a year-long training that is for psychedelic professionals. So it could be people that are MDs, DOs, etc., who want to just have be psychedelic-informed. It could be people who want sit, to be sitters. Therapists, it could be people who want to be guides. I'm not going to, I'm not making the laws. So I'm going to let the law determine who, what people get to do after they have this training. But there's going to be a good amount of looking at things like microbiome and mitochondria and that piece. And then looking at the different, including things like ketamine. I'm not, I'm not like cutting those out. And then,
0: you know, how do we support people afterwards? Oh, nice! Wonderful, wonderful! I will have all your contacts at the on our show notes so that uh, if anybody wants to reach out and be interested in your program and um, they can look there and get involved there. Thank you so much for coming on and talking about your beautiful story. I love it, and I really, if anybody wants to learn more, to get the book about plant medicine, one the plant medicine experience. Man, oh my gosh, master plan experience. Good. I'm glad you're here to correct me. The Master Plant experience, which actually was a very good read. I definitely I read it this weekend. It was wonderful. So, thank you so much. Thank you. All right. You have a wonderful evening.